So, Father, we just commit this time to you. I pray that you will um, help me, Lord, because I'm totally dependent upon you. Um, You know, as I speak about what I'm going to speak about today, I pray that um, you'd anoint what I say and, Lord, that you'd just touch people's hearts today and that people would go away with something, Lord, fresh and, um, Lord, their faith built and, um, you know, ready to take on whatever it is that the week holds. So thank you, Father. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to call... I couldn't think of a title, but I ended up, I think, last night at about 3 o'clock in the morning um, thinking that I would call the sermon this morning The All-Sufficiency of Jesus. And I'm going to read a, a scripture for you, and if you could turn to Colossians um, chapter 1. And it's going to be from verses 15 to 18. And I'm going to read it out of my Bible here. So and uh, as I read it, I want you to remember, if you take nothing else away today, the thing that I want you to take away is not to take the Bible for granted. Um, that when you read the Bible, you're, you're hearing from God you're, and you're reading truth. All right. So it says... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And that word preeminence, I looked it up, and it said it means there are lots of synonyms for it. One of them was unsurpassed. So this is who we're, t- we're talking about, Jesus here. He is unsurpassed. It said unrivaled. It said superiority. So that, that, that's who our Jesus is. And just we have to keep thinking and reminding ourselves of that. So the purpose of Colossians, that um, it was a letter written to the church at Coloss, and it was to deal with false teaching uh, that threatened the church. And there was a heresy being taught. And the heresy was that Jesus is not fully God or fully man, but merely one of the divine beings that bridged the gulf between God and man. And so he was therefore said to be lacking in authority. There was a real challenge on the authority of Jesus and that he wasn't sufficient to meet the needs of the Colossians. They also taught that um, enlightened believers, had um, they could achieve spiritual fullness and that was through special knowledge and through rigorous discipline. And so that was a, it was a syncretism or between um, Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism and mysticism. So it was this combination, uh, you know, of different belief systems. And so that was the early church. That was what was happening there. But I just wanted to briefly sort of share with you um, three little stories about things in my own experience where 
I know that that sort of thing that was happening then is actually still happening in the world today. So um, a number of years ago, I, um, one of the mothers from school um, came to me and she, she said to me that her little girl had come home and she'd said, she'd asked her questions about God. I wonder why she was doing that. But anyway, she came home, asked her a few questions and, and she said to me, I don't know how to answer her. And, and I said to her, well, before you can actually answer her, you know, give her answers, you actually have to know what you believe yourself. And so I said to her, what do you believe about Jesus? You know, what do you believe about God? And she said, well, I actually don't know. And so I just happened to have a Bible on the shelf in my classroom, highly illegal. But anyway, I got it off and I gave it to the mother and I said to her, um, take it home and read through, and I gave her some scriptures, you know, good starting places, the book of John, as we know, Romans, whatever, and she took it home. But anyway, when she came back, um, she said to me, I'd love to come to church with you if that's okay. And I'm thinking, oh, amazing. So anyway, um, this lady came to the Lord. She gave her heart to Jesus. Her husband did. Her little girl did as well. And I mean, it's just so precious. You know, what an honour to be an instrument in the hand of God to actually help that happen. But anyway, at the same time that I was rejoicing, one of her friends was pretty annoyed about it. And this friend of hers had been, she'd had some sort of traditional religious upbringing, um, but somehow she'd found herself practicing um, New Age. Um, she was practicing Wicca as well, and um, she was not very happy at all. So, anyway, one day after church, this, I got that my friend came up to me, or the mother came up to me, and she said, My friend has come. And she wants to meet you. And so she was outside of the church waiting to meet me. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. So anyway, not really quite knowing what to do, I I thought, well, I'd better be polite. And out I went. And I stared into the face of this lady. And really, you know, they say the eyes are the mirror of our soul. And as I looked into her eyes, I just, it was tragic, really. But she was, there was just death in her eyes. Um, and anyhow, she was agitated. And I thought, oh, what do I do? What do I do? But I invited her into the church. And as we walked across the church, and bear in mind, the youth were all standing, everyone was standing around chatting. But she turned and she looked at me and she said to me, she said, I went to a meeting last night. And she said it was um, an interfaith meeting. And of course, she just, you know, she was obviously stirred up from that. But she looked at me, and that, that's a, it's a movement that's supported even by many of um, the religious leaders in the world today. The Pope has endorsed it and whatever. Um, but it's a movement that dilutes truth for the sake of unity. And it says that two or more religious worldviews are equally valid or acceptable. And anyway, she looked me in the eye and she said to me, She said, there are more roads than one to heaven. And, of course, she was challenging the authority of Jesus right there in in the middle of the church. And timid little me, who doesn't actually like to have an argument with anyone or whatever, 
just what had been placed in there just came out. And I, and I just said to her, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Through me. And she manifested right there on the spot. She started yelling at me in the church, you know, you people, I feel sorry for you. You, you think you know. You think you know the truth. And, of course, with that, then she stormed off. And she, I did get told later that she, was, she said she was going to send her spirit guide after me or her angel. And I thought, okay, you know. So I was pleading the blood of Jesus everywhere and all the rest of it. But anyway, that's, that's in this world today. And, of course, the other story was that I... Um, in the last couple of years, because I'm very involved in the children's, um, uh, you know, literacy community in Australia. And um, I met a beautiful man um, who's very famous, and he um, actually loved coming up, you know, to, to our place, and he, um, he had a terminal illness. And so I had, um, you know, the, the privilege of being able to pray with him. But I found out that he was part of a particular church in Melbourne. And, and I thought, oh, that's very interesting. And when I looked it up, I found out that it was a Gnostic church, you know. And, and it, like, it opened my eyes up because I, I thought, you read about Gnosticism in the Bible, but there are actually Gnostic churches in the world today. And, of course, um, I looked a little bit further into it, and apparently what they do at their altar, they have a Bible, they have a Koran, they have some other holy book, they have all these different holy books. And so, once again, the authority of Jesus is being challenged. And then the final little story um, was that I got a phone call the other night from a friend's daughter. It was someone that I'd taught with a long time ago, and um, anyhow, the daughter rang to tell me that her mum was very, very sick in hospital in another state. Um, but the daughter, as she was, you know, telling the story, she started, she'd been brought up as a Christian. She'd gone to an Anglican school. Um, her mum is still a Christian. But anyway, she somehow had got off track. And she started to tell me that... Um, she was angry with her eldest sister who thinks she knows everything because she's a Christian. And she was saying, and she said to me, she said she started to reel off all these, you know, leaders, religious leaders in the world. And she said, you know, these enlightened men, they could all be considered the co-equal of Jesus. And she said, one of my friends hangs out with the Dalai Lama. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, hangs out with the Dalai Lama. But, you know, this is in our... Day now, and of course, Jesus spoke prophetically um, when he said, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Many shall come, saying, Here is the Christ, or there is the Christ. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that's in Matthew 24. So his prophecy is literally being fulfilled in our own time. And we live in what's called a post Christian era, yet the truth that salvation is found in no one other than Jesus still exists today, that still remains. But, you know, if we, sometimes if we speak up and we say, you know, who Jesus is, in this culture that we live in, we're considered to be arrogant. 
And, of course, I believe that, you know, that lady, when she stormed off on me, she thought I was being arrogant, you know, when I was declaring who Jesus is. We're called bigots, all right? Um, But that's actually what happens. But, you know, Jesus made it pretty clear um, in Luke when he said, if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject the one who sent them. So, in other words, they're rejecting God. Um, but what we, we're not, I don't believe we're called to dissect, you know, other religions. Um, we're commissioned to declare the person of Jesus, aren't we? His nature, his works, and we have to do it with compassion, with forgiveness, with understanding, and with grace. But we've got to hold firm to that confession that Jesus alone is Saviour. So more and more... Um, there's pressure in this world and we need we need to know who Jesus is before we can proclaim him and the thing is we need to know our Bibles we need to every time I pick this up you know whenever I'm under pressure you know and I pick this up and I start to read who my Jesus is I get strengthened I get encouraged I get faith-filled. My faith rises because this is what we trust. This is the ultimate source of truth in this world today and in our lives. You know, so I wanted to just briefly go through what Colossians is saying about Jesus in this little passage. And I want you to read it through yourself later um, and go over it because I promise you as you read it, you know, there's nothing that can come against you that can succeed Okay, so it defends the universal lordship of Christ and it's all about his preeminence. Firstly, it says he's the image of the invisible God. And that Greek word there means an exact revelation or representation of. So he is the exact, he's the revelation of God. And Jesus himself said, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. And he was speaking to Philip um, when he was saying that. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. And that's a title that refers to his exalted position. It's not about the timing of his physical birth. And among the Jews, the firstborn son was particularly favoured by his parents. He inherited the leadership of the family and a double portion of his parents' property upon their death. So Jesus, he has that exalted position. So by, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible. And this part's interesting because it says whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers... All things were created through him and for for him. So Paul depicts him as the mediator, the agent and the goal um, of all things. So that includes declaring his authority over even negative cosmic powers. Jesus is above. He has authority above every demon that exists, every power, every principality. Jesus is above them all. And he is before all things, and in all things, in him all things consist. So consist means to hold or to stand together and portrays Christ as the sustainer and the uniting principle of the universe. So he holds the universe together, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Oh, actually, and he's the head of the body, the church. 
And Ephesians 1, 22, 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, God gave Jesus as a gift to us to be head over the church. And the other day I I found um, a little... Um, thing on the internet and it was about because we all know about the Reformation and um, Martin Luther but you know a hundred years before Martin Luther there was a man called John Huss and he he actually um, a lot of the things that were in um, uh, Luther's 95 theses um, John Huss had been preaching those principles and one of the principles that he preached was that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth and that Jesus is the head over the church. Now, you can imagine he upset the Pope and a few other people, political leaders and whatever, and so he was burned at the stake for that. He died because he was declaring Jesus was the head over the church, and we take it for granted, don't we? We just pick our Bible up, you know, we're drinking our coffee, and we read, yes, Jesus is the head. You know, Jesus... You know, there are people who have paid for their lives to have the freedom. And we have that freedom to declare it today. So who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? Jesus is the head of the body and the resurrection is considered a birth, not a death. So when a new baby is born, you know, the normal thing that happens is the the head of the baby comes through, the the crown comes through first. And then it's natural that the body um, follows And so, you know, as we declare him as Lord, we follow Jesus' head over all of our lives. So that in all things he may have the preeminence. So everything Jesus is Lord over. Um, And he rose from the dead that we might follow him. So it's a pretty amazing resume, isn't it? Imagine if you went for a job and you had all that stuff on your resume. I think you might get the job. What do you think? So, So what does that mean for us? And there's a beautiful scripture, and I know Brahm's spoken about this one um, in the past, and it's one of my favourites, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And it says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What a privilege that is. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And that's like that lady that challenged me in the church. You know, we are a reminder. Even if we get opposition, that's because we, are, we carry the fragrance of Christ and we are a reminder to people who are not saved about that choice that they've made. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things. And you know when you meet a Christian, another Christian somewhere, and you find out that the other person loves Jesus and you get really excited, don't you? Because that is because it reminds us of our eternal hope in Christ. It's a powerful thing. But that scripture also tells me that because of the sufficiency of Jesus in our relationship with him, no matter what circumstance or situation we face through him we are always victorious he leads us in triumph Um, now Luke in Luke 10 
um, chapter 17, there's the story of when the disciples came back from mission. And if you remember, they got pretty excited, you know, because they came back and they said, even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Can you remember that um, in the word? And of course, the word, um, that word where it says subject to them, um, it's a military term and it means to be arranged under. And so what it is, it's a picture of, and I, I watched, um, maybe I shouldn't have watched it, but I watched, um, is it Hacksaw Ridge? Is that what it's called? I watched that the other night. It was the story of um, a man who was a conscientious objector. He was a Christian and he didn't want to carry a, a gun to war. But, um, you know, some of those military scenes where they were saying, yep, yeah, you know, yeah, and the sergeant or whoever it was was yelling out the orders. They were snapping to attention, you know, and they were obeying precisely the commands of their officer. Well, the thing is, that's actually what the demons have to do. That's what the demons were doing when those disciples went out and they declared, they commanded in the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, those demons had to obey. And, of course, maybe when they first went out, they were under the misconception like a lot of Christians are. And I read this somewhere that, you know, sometimes we see, you know, that God's over here, you know, and that the devil's over here and that we're, we're in, the, in the middle and there's constant sort of tug of war. They're both powerful you know, um, kingdoms that we see and we see this, you know, we're a bit like the rope in the middle and we get one day it seems like God's winning, next day, oh, no, the enemy's, you know, attacking me and I'm losing and, you know, whatever and somehow we believe that we actually have no say in the outcome. But the disciples, when they came back, they had a new perspective, didn't they? They had a real perspective, a true perspective, because spiritual authority is not a tug of war on a horizontal plane. It's actually not. It's a vertical chain of command. And Jesus Christ has authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's a lie, you know, when we think, when we see the enemy, you know, as being, you know, as powerful, you know, or equal to God. It's actually a lie. So Jesus is at the top, but guess what? He's, he's given us the same authority and the power, but we have to exercise it. Okay, we have to exercise it. So we're underneath him and Satan and his demons. We're under Jesus and Satan and his demons are at the bottom of the chain. And they are not only subject to the authority of Christ, but they are subject to the authority that Christ has invested in us. So why does the enemy seem to have so much negative influence, you know, in the world and sometimes in our own lives? And that's because he's a liar. He's an absolute liar. He is a liar. And the thing is, when you do DMEs, this is one of the things that Di really preaches into. And, um, you know, the lie, the lies that the enemy spins. And, um, you know, because Satan is not an equal power with God, he's a defeated enemy. Amen? Okay. So, but, you know, if he can just trick us into believing 
that he has more power than us, well, that's the way we're going to live our lives. We're going to feel like victims, basically. All right. So we've been given authority over the kingdom of darkness, but if we don't believe it and exercise it, it's as if we don't have it. And then one final thing that I wanted to say um, is that authority is the right to rule based on a position. All right? So we have the authority to do the will of God because of our position in Christ. But we have to, to have that authority, we have to remain dependent on him. All right, then. So knowing that, knowing that we actually have the authority over demons, over the lie in our own lives that we may have believed... Um, we've actually just got to step up and start to walk in that authority. And what I thought today, um, I know that probably, you know, there's a lot of people that some here, and I'm not being super spiro when I say this, that Jesus spoke to me this morning or the Holy Spirit, but I know that people have struggles in their lives and I know that sometimes we feel like we're in a tug of war. Sometimes it might be something to do with our marriage, maybe it's something to do with our children, our finances, maybe our health or something like that. Um, If you're a person that um, feels like that, you know, um, a little in a minute I'm going to get... um, us, everyone in the church, to be praying. But the other thing that I want you to do is we've got DMS coming up and um, I want people this morning to get together in little groups. Um, I don't want to see anyone just, you know, going and having coffee yet because this is really, really important. I want to see people... Um, I might get the musicians to maybe just, Joel, to come up and just play. Pray, play. Uh, you can pray while you play, if you like. Um, But we want to see um, people free from the lie that the enemy has control over them. We want to see people free from strongholds, from deception. Um, We want to see people free from the lie that they are anything less than what God has said they are. Um, So I want you to pray this morning and um, see if you can just, you know, be led by the Holy Spirit just uh, little groups of maybe three or four or whatever. And then if there's anyone in your group um, that feels that they would like prayer, I want you to stand with that person so that they can start to pray even over their own situation and um, just see breakthrough in those areas. So, okay, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. But, Lord, you're a powerful God as well. And I thank you, Lord, that you have all authority over every circumstance, over every situation, that there is nothing impossible for you, Lord. We thank you that you're a God of breakthrough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the authority, Lord, to pray, Lord, and to see that demons have to obey, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
get into groups. Everyone, even if it's just in pairs, just pray with someone. Pray for DMS. Pray for each other. Pray for breakthrough. It's awesome. before. I know you're all busy talking, but I just want to finish. We're going to close the service and have something to eat. And that was just a really special time just then. And I hate interrupting you all, but it's just really strong in my heart right now. I want to really encourage everyone to dig into God. Because honestly, time is so short. The whole role of church is to be a body accountable to one another, submitted to one another, leading from a place of, of wisdom and, and eldership and strength and, and many gifts in a body with the all-sufficiency of Christ leading us. He's the senior pastor of this church. I want to encourage you. This is a shameless push for DMS. I, I cannot, like, this is my passion. I, you guys need to understand these will be the principles that will guide you into the next season of your lives. And if you will come hungry and ready to receive, it will change and transform your lives. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years like I have. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I teach this stuff. I came up with the whole thing. And every single time, as I'm preaching the Word, the Word, guess what? Preaches to me. Because the anointing is on the Word. The anointing, that's the sword of the Spirit. That is the sword that separates soul from spirit, that judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It slices through and it cuts through the crap in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And I'm sorry, but there's more crap in older Christians, people who have been around churches for a long time, than there are newly saved people. Because we build up such a religious set of belief systems that are so destructive and so wrong and there's something wrong with the church guys in our 21st century there's something wrong and God wants to bring a shift and it starts with you you are the future of the church not us I'm getting too old but I can give everything I've got to impart to you you know the mega church you watch over the next 20, 30 years, you're going to watch the mega church syndrome decline because it's not about the one man. A man dies, and then what happens to all their followers? You see, we're meant to be following Jesus. We sit under anointed leadership, and we submit to that, and we honour the office of that. But you're all ministers. Every single one of you has been called to be a minister for Christ. And every single one of you has something powerful to give. And we're going to give everything we've got in DMS. And I want to encourage you, you know, this isn't about anything else except for your sakes. And for the sake of this nation, what's going to happen to your children? What sort of world are my grandchildren going to grow up in? What sort of world are Bernadette's grandchildren going to grow up in? Everything is so messed up. And if we're going to rely on, on yesterday's manna, well, I'm sorry, that's not enough. We need the living, breathing power of the Word of God in us right now to cut through and separate. 
And when we come into a place like DMS, it is literally, this is not a DNA course. If you've come from other churches, just get rid of all that stuff, okay? This is the doctrines that we are called to live by and how we live out our lives and how we walk out in our identity, how we walk out our lives as spirit-filled, powerful people, how we actually accurately hear the voice of God. You know, we hear so much nonsense about God said this, God said that. You know, I have to question a lot of time, which God are you talking about? People throw around this Pentecostal, the Holy Spirit told me. I have to judge a lot of that stuff. It's not the Holy Spirit. So we're going to learn how to, with the fear of God, how to hear, how to hear God. None of this nonsense about, oh, you know, I've got a prophetic word. and No, we will learn properly how to do it with the fear of God under the judgment of leadership and not just an excuse for doing our own thing. But it's time. It's time we need a move of God. <laughs> and it starts with us. And I'm not talking about some out there move of God. I'm talking about a grassroots revival in the Word of God, honouring the Word. What does that really look like? You know, we love what Byrne was preaching this morning about the all-sufficiency of Christ. You know what that looks like in yours life and my life? It looks like the absolute 100% radical authority and lordship of the Word of God in our lives. That means in our personal lives. It means in our marriage. You know, Brahm and I, the way you see us publicly is the way we act privately. Because we know God is watching everything. So, we've got one week to go, and then we start. I want you to get in there. Even if you've done it 10 times before, if you can get that week off, I want you to take it off. I want you to dedicate it to God. I want you to say, Lord, do something in me because my nation needs me. Do DMS for other people. Don't do it for yourself. Do it because you're going to be an instrument for God's glory. All right? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm going to give you everything. And I'm going to believe for God to move powerfully in your lives. All right? On that note, I think we might be dismissed. Now I've given you all a bit of a talking to. All right. Love you guys. Father, we just pray for an incredible week. Bless us, Lord. Bless everything that we're about to put our hands to, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Burn. That was amazing. Give Burn a big hand.